Hello, and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education. I'm your host, Jill Anderson. Today, we are talking to psychologist and San Diego State University professor Jean Twangy. Twangy is the author of the book iGen and a recently published article, Decreases in Psychological Well-Being Among American Adolescents After 2012 and Links to Screen Time During the Rise of Smartphone Technology. Welcome to the EdCast, Jean. Thank you. It's so great to have you on. You study something that I think is on the minds of a lot of educators, a lot of parents today, the effects of digital devices on children. What led you to study this in particular? Well, I've been doing work on generational differences for about 25 years, and I get used to seeing pretty substantial changes, but ones that will roll out over a decade or two. But um, in the in the data on, on teens, so these big national surveys of teens that are, are done every year, I started to see some unusual patterns starting around 2011 or 2012 in the data that around that time more teens started to say that they felt useless, that they felt like they couldn't do anything right. And those are classic symptoms of depression. Then um, life satisfaction started to fall and happiness started to fall. Uh, and then I also started to see in other um, sources, more issues with um, mental health. So a big national screening study started to show higher rates of depression. Um, there's a recent studies showing higher rates of self-harm, like cutting or taking too many pills. And then the teen suicide rate has doubled since um, the late 2000s. So right around that time, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, it was clear something happened in the lives of teens. So that, of course, begged the question, what what could it have possibly been? So that was kind of the start of the journey of considering what's changed in teens' lives. And what, um, what I eventually settled on, it took some time, but realizing that was the time smartphones became common. Right. So it wasn't a case of you went in thinking, oh, smartphones, wow, that's it. It was more of a just a discovery along the way when you were looking into this. It was. It was, it was really a, a journey to try to figure out why these uh, mental health issues were starting to spike around that time. And then you know, at the same time, you know, happiness and life satisfaction going down just across the board. It was clear something was going on. And it was it was also pretty clear quickly that it was not economic cycles because the um, U.S. economy was improving during the time when mental health spiked the most, which was um, 2012 to 2015. A pretty brief three-year period is when most of the increase occurred in mental health issues among teens. And that's a time when unemployment was going down and the U.S. economy was growing. So certainly there was a great recession, but that um, unemployment peaked for that in 2010 and then, and then got better. In terms of other economic factors like income inequality or um, changes in the job market, those have been going on for quite a long time, since the 80s or 90s, and, and don't show the same pattern as um, teen mental health with the sudden spike. So can you tell me a little bit more about how adolescent time spent on digital devices seems to be linked to unhappiness, increased risk of depression, higher risk for suicide? 
So that that was, of course, the the next step. So just because uh, two things happen at the same time doesn't necessarily mean one causes the other. So it's necessary to try to find some more evidence to see what um, the link might be. So these same big data sets that I work with um, ask about the amount of time teens spend online and on electronic devices and on social media, as well as asking about happiness um, and uh, risk factors for suicide like depression, thinking about suicide or actually having attempted suicide. So that was the next step. And those analyses showed, uh, for example, that teens who spend five or more hours a day online are twice as likely to be unhappy as those who spend an hour a day. And those who spend five or more hours a day on electronic devices are 71% more likely to have at least one risk factor for suicide than those who spend less than an hour a day on electronic devices. You know, one of the things I thought was interesting in the research was that there was kids who spend no time on a phone can be appear just as difficult for them, their mental health, as kids spending too much time on their phone. So... What would you say is the ideal amount of time for, I guess, a teenager to spend on their phone? And just to clarify, yeah, it's it's true that those who um, don't uh, use these devices at all or are not online at all, um, their well-being is a little bit lower than those who use the devices a, a little bit. But it doesn't reach the, the high uh, level of mental health issues that um, overuse does, say, you know, three or more hours a day. It doesn't, in most cases, it doesn't come close to that. Um, so that the uh, low well-being among non-users could be who those kids are. Um, it could also be you know, function of social social isolation. Um, and also note, um, you also have to get it, it also always has to be kept in mind. Maybe uh, it's also possible maybe the kids who are unhappy thus spend more time online. Uh, however, there's been several studies that suggest that that's not most um, of what's going on, that most of the causation um, goes from screen time to unhappiness instead of the other way around. Some experimental and longitudinal studies that follow people over time find that. So I think if you take all of it together, it settles on um, using these devices two hours a day or less seems to be um, a good limit. Um, You find the highest well-being among those with limited use, so an hour less than an hour a day. But you can go up to two hours without serious consequences. So one of the things I keep finding myself thinking, is it just the phones? Can we entirely blame phones and devices for unhappiness? Or do you think that there might be other things that could also be contributing to uh, children's well-being or their state of well-being? Well, there's there's two different questions here, and I want to make sure that we're asking the right one. So one question is, what are all of the possible causes of mental health issues and low well-being? That's a very long list, and it starts with things like genetic predisposition, difficult family environments, and trauma. But that's not the question that I'm focusing on. The question that, that I'm focusing on, because, I, you know, I started with this question with, you know, looking at generational differences, what changed in teens' lives between 2012 and 2015 that could explain the sudden spike in mental health issues. Not what can explain mental health issues overall. It's a general question, which is a completely different area of inquiry, but what might explain why it spiked 
um, so suddenly why, for example, major depressive episode uh, among teens you know, increased by 50 percent between 2011 and uh, 2015. So that's that's been been my focus um, because these other things that cause low well-being and mental health issues among teens, like genetic predisposition disposition and trauma, didn't change right. in those three years. So there are other things beyond just like of course like cultural shifts. I guess you could say. I mean, the phone being a huge cultural shift of course yeah and I mean I think that's um that's why in the end um I settled on the rise of the smartphone being the most likely cause for that increase because it was by far the largest change in teens lives in that pretty brief period Mm -hmm. between say 2012 and 2015 when most of the increase in mental health issues occurred the largest change the most pervasive change in teens lives was more on smartphones and they spent more time on social media um, and that ended up crowding out time that, for example, they might spend seeing each other in person or sleeping. So there's direct effects and there's also these indirect effects caused by most of leisure time moving to the phone. This seems like it's been a tough issue for parents. Um, And even some of your research, I see a little bit of controversy surrounding it in some ways, which is interesting. And I'm curious, why do you think there that exists? Why do you think that there's a little bit of resistance to seriously look at the phone as being or devices as being responsible for some children's well-being? Um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Um, in, in my personal experience, much of it is often due to misunderstanding because, like, the topic we were just discussing, that if people are saying, oh, so it's just the phone that causes all mental health issues among teens. Well, as I just noted, that's not at all what I'm saying. But if people think I'm saying that, then, yes, they might disagree, but that's not what I'm saying. So it's often a you know, mischaracterization um, or misunderstanding uh, because, it, um, it, you know, it's not just that there's so much evidence. It would be extremely surprising if the shift um, toward teens spending the majority of their leisure time staring at a screen didn't have effects. So one of the things in a recent column I read that you wrote, uh, you said, use, use your phone for everything it's good for and then put it away and go live your life. So tell me, what is a phone good for with teenagers? Mm-hmm. Um, a, lot of, a lot of things, but nothing that will take more than two hours a day. <laughs> right. So um, it's, it's good for helping you not get lost. Right. <laughs> so the, the GPS, I don't know how I, how I ever lived without that, and especially for teens just uh, learning how to drive, it's, it's helpful to think that, you know, you have that security blanket and you won't get lost. Um, it's great for sending short texts and, you know, coordinating, you know, who's going to be picked up where and making plans with friends. And it's great for, you know, maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, social media with, with friends, but not too much. Um, but use it to make those plans with friends face-to-face and then enjoy each other's company when you're together.
And for parents, what advice do you have for them in terms of, it sounds like this is really about limits and uh, monitoring how much teenagers use their phone. Can you talk a little bit about that? It is. So, you know, this, this is not about, you know, taking the phone away. They're wonderful devices. It's limited use. So um, for, say, teens in high school, just making sure that the phone doesn't become an appendage, um, that it's not a constant presence, that it's not interfering with them seeing their friends in person and getting enough sleep. So I think those are the two most important considerations. So, you know, first, everybody's phone, teens, adults, everybody, that phone needs to go downstairs on a charger away from the bedrooms at night so you don't have people looking at it in the middle of the night. Also, it's not a good idea for that to be the last thing that you do before you go to sleep at night. Um, it's, it's too stimulating on so many different levels. So half hour, even better, an hour before bed needs to be put away. Uh, for parents with, um, with younger kids, just think really carefully about whether um, your child is ready to have a smartphone with you know, completely unregulated access. Um, and it, in my view, if at all possible, wait until high school to get the smartphone. And if you feel like, you know, taking the bus in middle school or whatever, you need to be able to uh, communicate with uh, your child, then get them a flip phone. Right. So there are other options out there beyond right. the, the smartphone and its capabilities that parents can consider. It's, you're not saying no phone. You're just saying smartphone until high school. Yeah. Yeah, wait until they're a little bit more ready for that responsibility. And, that, of course, that's going to differ from one kid to another. Um, some kids might be ready a little bit earlier. For others, it, it might take some more time. Um, you know, you have to know your own, your own uh, kid and, and uh, you know, how emotional they are and how good their self-control is, how good their judgment is, and, um, you know, and, and all those things. And then also what's, what's going on in their friend group. And that's, of course, when it gets more fraught is um, trying to negotiate that. Um, but, Mom, I'm the only one who doesn't have this. Um, in that case, there's compromises that can be made that don't necessarily involve a smartphone for a 12-year-old. Like, okay, um, maybe once you turn 13 and it's legal for you to have a social media account, you can have one but on my desktop and use it in a limited way or something like that. And that, that's another thing for parents to know. It's actually not legal for children under the age of 13 to have a social media account. It's the law that you have to be 13. Right. That's a very good point. Um, and you have some amazing tips that you just shared. I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. For those listeners who want to find out more or follow your work, where's the best place for them to do that? Um, well, my website is jeantwangie.com, J-E-A-N-T-W-E-N-G-E.com. And a lot of the stuff we're talking about is in my book, iGen. Thanks again. This is the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Thanks for listening.